0: All right, we'll be in the book of Hebrews tonight, and I had a man ask me this, and um, so you pray for me as I'm priest tonight. I had a man ask me the other day, he said, boy, you're a glutton for punishment, aren't you? And I said, well, I think I am, because here just recently we've been through uh, Hebrews 10, uh, even parts of Second Peter, chapter 2 and 3, and then... Uh, Monday night we were in First John 3, and as you know those are highly contested verses I guess is the word I want to use, but uh, um, maybe contested is not the right word. Confused verses, not confusing verses, but they're confused verses. Verses people get in, and take them out of context, and use them, um, you know, to prove a doctrine that they already hold to. And we've already been told by Peter, we have to be careful of that, don't we? Don't rest the scriptures. Don't twist something to make it fit what you want it to say. That, that is a big danger. Um, and people do that often. And um, I had a man um, say something to me similar today uh, about something that a man said, and taken out of context, it sounds terrible. Um, But if you listen to the entire thing, you understand exactly what he was trying to say. If you took verses out of the Bible and took took Bible verses like war, a good warfare, well you could say, use that to justify going out and just start shooting people. But in its context, we know God is not talking about because we know the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, the pulling down of strongholds. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against power and that spiritual wickedness in high places. So He's not talking about fighting as one that beateth the air. We're not, we're not, you know, fighting that kind of fight. Um, you know, um, uh, you know, He even says often, you know, fight the good fight of faith. Now he's not talking about going out and beating somebody over the head with it, right? As bad as you might want to, you cannot do that. And uh, so taken out of context, you see just in everyday conversation, uh, you can believe something about somebody and take something that they said out of context and make it say what you want it to say. You can do the same thing with the Bible. If you have a, uh, an idea of what you think something means, you have to be extremely careful as you read through the Bible not to make the Bible fit when it seems to cross your theology um your theology's wrong right not the bible as billy kelly or i don't know who said it but said the bible's got a way of uh, really straightening your theology out and it's right there's things you can hear preached and things you can hear men say with good intentions but the bible just doesn't bear it out right and that's why we're exhorted to be good Bereans and search the scriptures and to see if it's so And so, um, anyway, if uh, there's any fact-checking going on, it ought to be me and you checking our Bibles, right? And staying in the Word of God. And so, um, we're going to look at tonight, we're going to look at another uh, portion of Scripture that I believe is is, um, uh, Hebrews chapter number 6. Excuse me. Hebrews chapter number 6. And uh, so, you pray that I can keep my thoughts together here because it's very similar to 1 John 3. And if I accomplished one thing Monday night, it was to confuse everybody in the building. So uh, I confused myself. And so, no, I'm kidding. So I do want to keep my thoughts together. And um, so you just pray God will help me. Um, I think we did this in Hebrews chapter number 10. Uh, We uh, first laid the groundwork and established what it is not saying. And that's often very important of what it is not saying because Scripture will never contradict itself, will it? It's very fluent. You can line upon line, precept upon precept. And so if you read a verse of Scripture and it says something uh, to you and you want to believe it, but something that is contrary to another portion of Scripture, you are wrong. Right? not the Bible. You don't have to go to the Greek and re-explain it. You're just wrong, right? Uh, and so uh, uh, you're, you and I are the ones that need corrected. And so anyhow, we, when we read these scriptures, it's often very important to understand them in the context. I know I'm repeating myself just a little bit, but I just want to be careful that uh, I'm not taken out of context myself in saying what I'm saying. Uh, the We know the chapter divisions and the verses, we we understand uh, how that came about. Um, and I want you to remember, and this is why sometimes I do this, I, I try to reread the entire book to get an understanding of the context of the writer. So when you come to some of these places, it will help you to back up, say, like in 1 John, we were dealing with chapter number 3. And when you go down through there and you're dealing with chapter number 3, uh, you have to remember you, you you can't forget chapter 2, verse 1, right? If any man sinned, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Little children, I write these things unto you that you what? Sin not. If any man sinned, you have an advocate with the Father. Right? So you can't forget that verse when you get to chap- the next chapter, and then you start reading things that seems like it's sounding to you like uh, that you've lost your salvation. You don't forget chapter 2 and verse 1. So sim- similarly, in Hebrews chapter number 6, we must remember what, is, what uh, the uh, overall theme of this Bible is Jesus Christ. Would you agree to that? Would you agree that the writer of Hebrews establishes a foundation of this? Everything you and I have is better. Mainly, mainly Christ and His sufficiency. Christ is better than all of those things in the Old Testament. He has fulfilled all of those things, right? So, um, even in chapter number 10, how many times did we go down through there and see the sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice of Himself to forever perfect any man that would come to God by Him? Forever. Not until He does something uh, unknown to you and not described in Scripture that causes you to lose it. Right? Forever is forever. The sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice of Himself. And so we see that um, uh, overall theme in the book of Hebrews is the superiority and the sufficiency of Christ Jesus, our precious Lord. And He starts that out, right, in the first chapter. If you'll flip back with me, I'll just mention a couple of these. There's plenty. There's a better hope, a better son, a better message, a better covenant. Better promises, better sacrifice, better home, hope, and blood. Everything is better now. Jesus has fulfilled it all, and He was able to uh, uh, give up the ghost when He said, "It is finished." Right? The reconciling work of bringing a de- a sinner dead in his trespasses and sins and reconciling him to his Creator was done when the temple of His body was rent in twain. He re- He was bruised for you, right? And He brought us together together and he that sanctified and he that is sanctified are of one. Right? And so now you and I, and even prayed that in John 17, uh, that they may be one as I and my Father are, as me and you are one that they may be one. We're in them, they're in us, you're in Christ, Christ is in you, you are sealed, saved, perfected, sanctified, your sins purged forever. Right? And if you don't have that down pat, uh, and this is what he's going to deal with. So in in verse number one, God who at sundry times and diverse, various different manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, but having these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself done what? Purged our sins, sat down, on the right hand of the majesty on high. Right, so we established that in chapter number ten, but it's this is laid out in the very first part of the epistle. If you believe that Paul is the writer, I'll say Paul. If that upsets you, do you think it's Luke? Uh, uh, I'm not going to say that, but you can say it. Okay. So uh, whoever the writer here is, uh, and most generally accepted as Paul, begins this letter, this epistle to the Hebrews, and right off the bat establishes this great sufficiency of Jesus Christ alone, by himself, without anything added to it, by grace, on the grounds of grace, by the means of faith, a man is justified and no longer an enemy with God. Christ is sufficient to take away the sins of the world, yours, mine, and everybody in here, right? He is sufficient. He's sufficient in every aspect that you want to look at Him. There is nothing lacking in Him. He was and is perfect. And so He establishes that right from the beginning. And then look at chapter number 2. And He said, uh, verse, just read verse number 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him? So he is, uh, um, uh, again, dealing with, because what were the Jews, if you go back to the book of Acts primarily, what were the Jews in the book of Acts primarily having problems with over and over? Reintroducing the law, were they not? They were constantly adding to what Christ had done. It's not Christ plus circumcision, right? Right? Paul had to rebuke Peter to his face for some of the things that he was to be blamed. There was a constant uh, um, attack uh, um, uh, on the true gospel uh, that was being delivered, which is Christ, Jesus, plus nothing, minus nothing. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. It is faith in Jesus Christ, and that is all that will accomplish your salvation right eternity for you hinges upon this man named jesus that's right it's not hinging upon the types of sins that you commit or how bad they are compared to the neighbor sitting beside you on the pew it is in faith in christ jesus alone that saves and justifies a man in heaven and so he is, is constantly having to establish them and, and, and get them regrounded because they were always wanting to add to it. Why? Because they had come uh, from hearing all their lifetime about the law, right? And they could not turn loose of it. Well, well don't, don't eat things that are mingled with blood. Well, don't do this and don't do that and don't do that. Yeah, Christ is good, but you better keep it. You, what about water baptism? People do it now. Right? They're adding to what Christ did. He is sufficient in what he did. And uh, they were constantly, he was having to redirect them back to Christ because they were wanting to add to. Well, yeah, Christ, you, you get it by faith in Christ, but you have to keep it by the law. If you have to keep it by the law, you can get it by the law, and by the law shall no flesh be justified. Right? Right? It's always been by grace through faith. It's always been faith. For the just shall live by faith and not the works of the law. That's what Romans goes so far in establishing. That the righteousness which is by faith now is made evident to us. Right. Not going about trying to establish our own righteousness, but submitting ourselves to he that is righteous. Right. Right. And counting on nothing but His purity as our atonement. His pure and perfect sacrifice for our salvation. Right? Amen. And so these Jews now, you and I being Gentile, uh, uh, we had a place there in the outer I understand all that. But we were aliens from these things. And to them were committed the oracles of God. Right? And so, um, uh, he would, not that we are excluded from the book of Hebrews. I'm not, not saying that. But what I'm saying is, in general in this letter, uh, it will help us when we get to chapter number 6 a little bit to understand why He's saying the things that He's saying. You and I, as we sit here as good fundamental Baptists, we know that there's nothing else that we can do. What Jesus did on Calvary was the only hope we have of standing before God justified. The only thing we have. Right. Right. Your faithfulness your, your your sins nothing it is your your your, your 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 faith and trust being completely cast upon a man whose name is Jesus, not an office that he held, and not a work that he did, on the person whose name is Jesus and all he professes himself to be salvation this is life eternal, right. That they might know thee and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent, the man Christ Jesus, far better than anything else. And so he establishes that in the book. And then he says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which was first to be spoken? And you go on down through here. We look at uh, chapter number three and verse number six said, but Christ is a son over his own house. Whose house are we? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear His voice. So, you begin to see as He starts moving on in the Scriptures here, or moving on in His letter, you see an emphasis on holding fast the profession, on not quitting, on going on. You start seeing that emphasis, you'll see it again in chapter 4. Let us hold fast that profession. And so he, he's laying this groundwork and letting them, reminding them, number one, that salvation is in Jesus Christ and faith in him, right? And then he goes on and he says, now let us hold fast, let us continue on, let us go on, let us not give up, let's not back up, let's not neglect this great salvation. He doesn't want us to stop, he wants us to keep on going, right? We need that message today. A lot of us have a tendency, we want to grow weary and faint in our mind. And we don't need to grow weary in well-doing. We need to just keep on going for God, don't we? And so, we see a little bit of that in chapter number 4 also, in verse number 14. He says, "...seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession." And then that great verse, "...we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities and all points tempted." Again, the sufficiency of the priesthood, Christ didn't call himself, right? I believe that was in, uh, it's in chapter 4 or 5. Uh, but he talks about how Aaron was called of God. Nobody confirms this on upon themselves. And Christ also was given that of God after the order of Melchizedek. He didn't call himself to it. And so it's, it just it goes on to explain the supremacy of Christ, not just in uh, um, this in the offering of himself, but in this continual office as high priest over our profession. Christ is more than enough. He's more than enough. Who sings that all the time? He's all you need and all you've got. And so now, we're going to slowly build into this. Look with me now in chapter number 5. So in chapter number 5, look at... uh, Verse number 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard and that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Similar language in chapter number 2. In verse number 10, I wasn't going to mention this one, but it became Him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now, does anybody, is anybody crazy enough to stand up here and say that Jesus was not perfect in His person, in His nature? Touching, he was perfect God and perfect man. Am I right? Was there any guile found of his mouth? Could anybody convince him of sin? Was there one time, one thought, one action that was contrary to the will of God when he was upon this earth? One thing as the man Christ Jesus that anybody could name against him. Nothing. That's why even Pilate, as bad as he wanted to kill him, said, I find no fault in this man at all. And so, uh, uh, as touching uh, His divinity, He was absolutely perfect, omniscient, sinless. However far you want to go with that word, you're welcome to take it. Christ Jesus was and is perfect. And then it comes down to here, and He's going to start talking about something when we leave this verse right here. That to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, let's establish something else. Philippians 3. You and I, does it not say in Hebrews 10, let's say Hebrews 10 because our minds are fresh there. Did Jesus not perfect forever them that are sanctified? Do you stand perfect tonight in the eyes of God touching the fact that you're a son and not an enemy? Right? We've established that. We know that we stand perfect in Jesus and that when he sees me, he sees the blood. And we've dealt with the progression and, how, and, and chapter number 10 also, but the same thing that we're going with here. We stand perfect, we're perfect, yet Paul said, uh, as many as of us be perfect, who he just said that we're not perfect. So, right, you follow me. I've said this before, but y'all know what I'm talking about. So, you and I, born again, we're absolutely perfect and are standing before God, but we're not perfect touching our practical life down here, are we? Amen. If you are, I'm going to sit down and you come on up tonight. You need to be preaching. Right? And so we know that the New Testament is teaching us this same idea. And it's the same thing similarly as touching a man uh, uh, as you want to say as he entered time, the timeless one, and he came in and he learned obedience to the things that he suffered. He had never done that in the likeness of sinful flesh had he. So that's not saying that he lacked anything that he should in touching his nature. But then touching it, he was a man. And what's he doing? That he might be a faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God. It behooved him to be made like to his brethren. Right. He wanted to do that. He wanted wanted to be touched with the feelings of your infirmities. He knows what you're going through because he's been there and done that and faced the same problems. Right? But he never had before he took himself on a robe of flesh. In the flesh in time. Now... So, I just, that's not the message, but I'm just mentioning that. And you and I also, likewise, though we stand perfect in heaven, we don't stand here perfect practically today. How many of you had a perfect day today? To him that knoweth to do good and doeth not to him that is sin. What about, uh, uh, I mean, we could just go on down the line, right? So, practically speaking. So, he leaves that example uh, that uh, um, uh, the things that we suffer, and we're being taught many times in the New Testament by Paul of how much sufferings uh, are to us something that is, uh, we're made partakers of Christ's sufferings, right? And so, if He made Him perfect uh, through suffering, then you and me are going to learn obedience through suffering, right? Right? I don't learn much obedience when everything's going great with me, do you? How much do you pray when everything's all right? Right. And that's unfortunate in our nature, but God knows we're carrying around this rotted corpse. It's dead. And so anyhow, so he's going to talk to these Jews. Now remember, he's dealing with these Jews in the sense that they were always constantly wanting to run back to the law, right? And go back to the weak and the beggarly elements and the things of the law. You don't, I mean, he was doing it even um, at another time. He said, uh, you haven't begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? You remember when he said that? It's always been a work of the Spirit by faith. And so um, uh, here again, uh, we're going to get into chapter number 6 and look at the very end of chapter number 5. After he deals with saying just a couple of things quickly about Melchizedek, he said of whom we have many things to say in verse eleven, chapter five. To, that, that's hard to be uttered, seeing that why? Not that it would be hard uh, for me to say, but it'd be hard for you to hear because you're dull of hearing, and you won't even listen to me. That's what he said. So I'd like to talk about some of these things for us to go on to, uh, but you're dull of hearing. And so uh, he said for when the time you ought uh, to be teachers you have need one to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such a one needeth milk and not strong meat. Everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So what is the, what is, what is the words, what is, what is this on the heels of? He's just talked about being made perfect uh, through the suffering, the things that he suffered. And then he comes on down here through, through here just a little bit. And he said, look, you need me to teach you again. You ought to be teaching other people. You need to go on. And uh, it starts out kind of with this idea. A lot of people do this. They, 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 they constantly hang around the place of salvation. They never go on any further. Right? They just, they just uh, uh, some uh, stay at that place, never having it really figured out one way or the other. And some some people just never go on. Uh, and, and what he's trying to get them to understand, uh, well, he's going to here in just a moment. Um, he talks about strong meat. He talks about these that are of full age. Those that have had their senses exercised. These are people that have gone on. These are older folks that have, uh, and he's using a practical experience here to show something spiritual. Uh, but, but as you and I grow and grow, and knowledge of the Lord, we're having our spiritual, we're getting spiritual discernment, having our spiritual senses exercised. We need to grow up too. It's not talking about whether you're 20 or 25, it's talking about spiritually here. And so, look at chapter 6 and verse number 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. Now you're standing before God. You not going to hell, and you going to heaven. Are you going to add something to what Christ did to that? That new man that God created inside of you, and cut away by the circumcision of the flesh, and sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Are you going to be able to add to that perfection so that God will God will accept you? No. The answer is no. You cannot add to what he perfected in his son. And you, your life is here with Christ in God. You are in him and he's in you. And the matter of the question of whether or not we are saved by the grace of God and sons and heirs according to the promise has been answered when we exercised faith in Jesus Christ. Everybody okay with that? If you say, Well, I got to work to keep it, I feel so sorry for you. That's part of the crowd he's talking to here right they never go on you think does anybody know anybody that's uh, pentecostal or church of god or any of these other uh, groups that think they can lose their salvation they never grow up into maturity in the lord because they don't even know if they belong to him or not their entire life is turmoil of whether or not they committed this sin and lost their salvation they never grow up they never you know t- you have to you have to uh, uh, be born and be fed by milk and then raised and then you eat then you then you're like some of the 17 year old boys i got and you eat steak like it's going out of business and you you go on and you eat meat as you grow up right and uh, these people never grow up they never grow on uh, go on under perfection and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord because they're always hanging around the salvation problem. It's constantly. Were you baptized with water? Did you go all the way under? How many of your sins did you? How many of this? I mean, what about laying on of hands? Have you, uh, uh, I mean, there's just all kinds of, uh, of different problems. They're just constantly hanging around that question of salvation. It's, it, it's, it's, it's never having any kind of, uh, of peace and never any kind of joy. That's not God's purpose for anybody. He wants you saved, born from heaven, and he wants you growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Go on. From the foundation That's the starting point Salvation is not the end This is a relationship with a man Whose name is Jesus And it starts at salvation And it continues on ever This is a relationship with somebody. This is not something that you hear people say, are you saved or not? I already took care of that. This is not something you took care of 25 years ago. Too many people are always looking to the past. What about today? It's still a relationship today. I know him just as much right now as I did when he saved me on your porch 13 years ago. He's just as real. I'm a little colder. Hate that. But he's never changed from the day I met him. Now, so he goes along here, and he's trying to get them, why am I constantly having to fight with you people, and constantly, now I'm I'm using my words here, you understand me, but why am I constantly having to reestablish that Christ is enough? He's enough, and you must cast yourself upon him, you cannot improve on that. You can't be ducked under the water enough. You can't be sprinkled enough. You can't have somebody lay on lay hands on you enough. You can't, There is nothing else that can be done outside of what Jesus did on Calvary when he gave himself for our sins, was buried and raised by his own power. You cannot improve on that to justify yourself before God. And... Uh, and so it's like he's telling them, I'm wanting you to, to, to go on, to grow up. And we're having to sit over here and find about baptism, whether the thief on the cross was baptized or not. Do you have to be baptized to be saved? Absolutely you do. And just to make some you all nervous, I'm not going to say nothing else. No, in case somebody gets me wrong, Right baptized by the Holy Ghost into one body. It's a spiritual thing, right? And they were constantly following Why? Why were they constantly having that problem? Because they were, they were kind of in a sense cursed to this but they always wanted to see it. Right? They, they couldn't see the spiritual. Am I supposed to get back in my mother's womb? You know the, the idea that they always had. He would deliver some spiritual truth and they're sitting there going, so he's throwing seed out into this field and they couldn't get a hold of it. They are always thinking, it's spiritual, Right? Circumcision, Baptism. These spiritual things that, Christ, that the Lord showing us has been accomplished in Jesus. Everything revolves around Him. It's all in Him. And so uh, He tells him, let's leave these, these, these principles, the, 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 the foundation stuff. You can't grow up without being born, right? You must be born again. That's the foundation. That's where it begins. But it doesn't stop there, right? There should be maturity and growth. So listen to what he tells them. He says, "...therefore, uh, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, and laying on of hands of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment." Primarily all salvation stuff, is it not? Repentance from dead works, faith, resurrection from the dead... If you're born again, you've been raised from the dead, haven't you? Primarily talking about salvation things, the beginning things. That's where it all begins with you. And then is that not what we do? How many people see a person born again and then take them to Hebrews and start talking to them about Melchizedek, whether he was Jesus, a pre incarnate Jesus, or what? No. We start out with the foundation stuff, right? You're saved forever. You're justified in heaven. Now you must grow, right? We start discipling them, and we start off in, in these principled areas about, uh, convic- or about uh, sanctification and practical uh, sanctification and, and being justified and all those things. We start out with those principles. And now he's saying unto them, let us go on from that. And then he says this, he said, and this we'll do if God permit. Well, why would God not want you to grow up? You can't grow up until you pass this grade. Right? If you don't even know whether or not you're saved or whether you can lose it or you have to live a certain way or talk a certain way or, or man, God's going to take this eternal life from you at any moment or, or you're going to say, which sin is it? How, I mean, I don't even know which sin it is. The only one you can come up with and they try to say is blaspheme the Holy Ghost and, and unbelief. Right? He, he deals with a little bit. They entered in not because of unbelief. We're talking about therefore there of the rest of the people of God. In chapter 3 or 4. And so, uh, uh, um, and so he so Y'all be careful now, unless there be an evil heart of unbelief in you and departing from the living God now that 's going to be important when we move on here in just a minute, so therefore, let us lay aside those things, not lay them aside, but let us go on from those things and let us grow up let us let us move on. Did he not just say i 'd like to talk to you about Melchizedek, of which many things I have to say, but you 're dull of hearing you 're still stuck over here on the foundation i can 't talk to you about these things you 're dull of hearing. So let's go on past that. Christ is enough. He fulfilled it all. The works of the law. And you're crucified in the world. And the world unto you. And the handwriting of ordinances which are against you. We nailed them to the cross taking them away. That's what Colossians said. And so uh, uh, he establishes that. And now let's go on. Let's build. Let's, let's go on from that. Does it does, does any is, it, is anybody understanding uh, what I'm try, what I'm uh, trying to say that I feel like he's he's trying to get them to see we ought to be we should not be fighting about whether or not water baptism or dunking or or sprinkling why are we arguing that is clear in the scriptures those are foundation things let's move on right and so if he's perfected forever, and if you've been purged, and if you're sanctified in him, uh, and, and he that's sanctified, and if you're all of one, and all these foundation principles have been laid, then the question of whether or not you're saved has already been answered. Is that fair? The justification question is, eternal judgment's already been answered. If I'm saved, then God will certainly judge me here for things I won't repent of. Amen? But eternal judgment and my my soul ever partaking of perdition and seeing hell—that question was answered when I cast myself on Jesus. That's not even in the picture anymore, right? And so he he, he tells him, "Let's let's 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 go on from that." Uh, um, uh, and I, and I, have to, I have to say this I, Again I know I'm in this vein And I don't want anybody to misunderstand me I'm not ever trying to give anybody some false sense of hope I mean that's between you and God That's not my business where you stand I can say this though Living a life that you feel like every, And we're no different to a degree A lot of independent Baptists We wouldn't say we'd lose it But we're constantly telling them that they don't have it Right How do you know that Well, because, you know, He said, He that committed sin is of the devil. We went over this Monday night. Well, okay, well that's committing there. It's talking about continual action. Well, who gets to define the continual and the duration of this continue? You? Me? Who's defining that? So is it two weeks, one week, three weeks? Can you imagine the misery that you would live in never knowing where your soul stands with God? Constantly, every doubt, every fear, every mistake, every stumble, every thought, every word, everything you did, constantly worrying. I either don't have it or I had it and lost it. Who would want to live that way? Imagine living in our house and somebody telling you, Tyler, you've probably adopted. And you never could find out the truth. You searched everywhere to find out who your real parents were. You never, you never could find out. So you always lived in doubt of whether or not you belonged to me or mom or this one or that one or the mailman or what. Could you imagine living that way? That's unbelievable. Who would? Again... I hope I'm not being taken in any way to be misunderstood that I think that if you live in absolute rebellion to God with no love for God and no love that I think you ought to be perfectly secure and safe in Jesus. I'm not not saying any of that. What I'm preaching to you is that the sufficiency that answer the question of your eternal state lies only in the man named Jesus. That's all I know to tell you. And uh, that's between you and God. Because, uh, so, and we've been there. I don't want to revisit that. So he's trying to get them to see. We have got to go on with that. How can I get you to grow? How can I talk to you uh, about being faithful to the house of God and trying to get you to, uh, how, how can I talk to you about tithing? How am I going to talk to you about faith promise missions and tell you about, you don't even know if you belong to him. Why in the world would you give him your money? You see what I'm saying? Like, you, There's so many things we need to deal with, and we can't because you, you don't, you're, you're stuck back here. And I'm not making light of that. What I'm saying is you need to get that settled. Get that settled, right? That's what he's telling them. I know I've preached similar to this, and I don't want to rehash that. But this is what he's telling them with this. Stop going to circumcision and baptism and all this stuff and adding to Christ is enough, and that's it. End of the question. You either cast yourself on Him and believe on Him, or you'll go to hell when you die. That's the only thing. That's it. Right? And so, then he goes on. uh, We'll have to pick this back up. But he goes on and said, this we will do if God permit. So, once you get that established, then you begin to grow, right? And you start going on. We dealt with some of that. Now look at verse number 4. For it is impossible... For those who were once enlightened have had tasted of the heavenly gifts and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they should fall away, number one, let me say this. Verse number six starts off with an if. Right? And then it uses the word shall. All right. So it's not talking about something that's already happened to where he has an example, oh brother so and so. Hey this is my opinion this is my interpretation that i believe on my heart and i'll give it just just uh, started anyway i believe he's talking hypothetically i believe he's saying let's read it carefully again for it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. Now, I believe he's saying hypothetically He's laid out the foundation of Christ's sufficiency. He's telling them the whole fast of their profession. He's telling them all of those things and how Jesus being the high priest, and he comes down and he said, look, I want you to leave those things because there's things like Melchizedek I'd like to be dealing with and teaching you so that you can teach others, but you've got to get this question settled. And so let's move on. And he said uh, concerning all these things about the law and, con- and if, you, if you add to Christ's salvation and you try to say well yeah you got to have faith but you also got to have circumcision and then you must be water baptized and then you must and you add all those things to it. Or if you don't keep it let's just say uh, you, you, you get it but you don't keep it right. Here's one thing you have to accept. You say well I believe you can lose your salvation. Then you must accept this if you ever lose it you can never get it again. Right. You have to believe that because it said it's impossible to renew a man who once had it. So if you're going to take this literal and you're going to say that he's saying you can lose your salvation, then you must agree if you've ever lost it, this up and down 30 times is nonsense. Once you lost it, you got one shot at it. I'm sorry, I can't believe that. Not with the rest of the scriptures that I have. So what I think when he's using the word if, and then he talks about this possibility of this future, it's impossible. He said, if they shall fall away, to renew them again. So hypothetically speaking, if you had a man who supposedly was saved, and he'd partaken of the Holy Ghost, he was made a partaker of the Holy Ghost, tasted of the world to come, tasted of the good Word of God, and he was a made partaker of all these things, and let's say hypothetically, if he was saved... If he was to fall away, if he was to come to the place where he completely rejected Christ, it would be impossible for him to get saved again. Because he's crucified to himself the only means of his salvation, which is Christ crucified. So, there's two words you have to pay attention there. Renew again and crucify again. Or afresh. Which is a similar similar rendering. So, let's think through this. It's impossible... To renew them again. So what is, that, what is that saying? It means they had it and they were renewed once. Right? And then it says crucify to him again. It almost seems contradictory. If you crucify to yourself, if you basically say Christ is dead to me, He's nothing to me. If you, if you were saved. You're doomed because you've rejected the only means that I know of to reconcile you to God Christ and His sacrifice. Right? So uh, you would have to agree if you can lose it, you got one shot, and you can never get it again if you ever lose it. That's one thing, but then you have to uh, look at this. If it's if it's speaking uh, the way I believe that it is in a hypothetical situation, and saying if by chance, if there was a way, if this man that, that we're going to use in this situation, if, it would be impossible for a man who is but made, made partaker, say by the grace of God, it's impossible uh, to renew him again because he is renewed. Uh, that we're assuming, right? It's impossible to renew him again. And, and but here he goes from the hypothetical to the reality. The reality is He's crucified Himself and He throws in that little word again. Now if you crucify to yourself the Son of God, if you, if you crucify Jesus to yourself, if you said Jesus is not who He says He was, similar to 1 John 3, I don't believe, or 1 John 2, I don't believe in Him, I reject Christ, He's not who He says He is, and you apostatize, you fall away, you reject Christ. He said again, because that's what happened to you the first time. Right? The reality is, a man like that, that rejects Christ, is not saved at all. That's the reality. So, so he said, it's impossible uh, for you. We've got to settle this matter of salvation. You're sealed and saved and perfected in Jesus. Once for all, it's over. Now grow up. Now we've got to go on and learn obedience through suffering. If you don't obey, he doesn't kick you out. Confess it, forsake it, and learn obedience through suffering. Right? That's what he's. That's the picture. He, grow up. And so he, in my opinion, he turns from this. Uh, for it is impossible. For a man that's been enlightened A man that's been partaker It's impossible for this man If he were to, to apostatize And say look I reject Jesus completely I want no part of eternal salvation And I certainly don't want it to this man named Jesus I've been studying Buddha And I think there's a lot of hope in Muhammad and Buddha That man didn't lose it By rejecting He rejected because he rejected it the first time He didn't have what he thought he had That I can stand on Because there's no answer. Can you commit a sin after you're saved? We've proven from the Bible, of course you can. Especially if you say you can't, because you're the biggest liar in here. Right? And so we've proven, certainly that's possible, and you can talk about those things, and we can deal with all of those things that is being dealt with there. But here's one thing none of us can rise above, that's rejecting Christ. There's no hope for you. There's nothing that we can do to help you. If you reject Jesus, there is no answer for your sin but what Christ did on the cross. Right? So let's leave those things, and it's impossible, absolutely impossible, for a saved man to reject Jesus Christ. I'm not saying he doesn't get cold. I'm not saying he doesn't get indifferent. This is not talking about uh, um, because here's here's another verse. Here's what we got to remember when he goes on here. He also says this: See him that he crucifies to, uh, to himself, the Son of God, afresh, uh, uh, and brings him to an open shame. This is not, let, let me give you another example of people who try to use uh, 2 Peter 2 and other places. They went out from us, coming to all of us. This is not talking about somebody that got mad at me because I hurt their feelings. And maybe they quit our church and they went down the road to a different church, right? They didn't fall away, right? This isn't even talking about somebody that maybe just got put out. People in the church, there was a big church fight. And, and uh, he even warns against that thing, right? And say, so so you, you know, you, uh, uh, this is somebody who brings him to an open shame because they openly reject him and who he is. It's just like similar to the first John 2. There's Antichrist. They're liars because they deny him as the son of God. These people are bringing him to an open shame. They've fallen away. They've apostatized. They have rejected Christ as the son of God. This is a very particular group of people. Again, I believe, brother, I believe this is talking about uh, exactly what I'm saying. This is using this situation to say, hey, it's impossible for you and me. We have, we have believed under the saving of the soul. Right? And so, again, not to give us any kind of peace about sinning. Right? In fact, quite the contrary. This is to give us peace, though, of no one whom we have believed. And it's impossible. These people you're talking about, they, 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 go, they turn to circumcision. They turn to baptism. They turn to all these various things, and they reject Christ and His sufficiency. Those people have rejected the only means to their salvation. Circumcision can't do it. Baptism can't do it. Nothing else can do it but Christ Jesus the Lord, right? And so, again, he's building up. He is. He is uh, um, exalting that man, Christ Jesus. Well, I've, I've gone past my time, uh, but uh, I've got some further proofs of why I believe this. And we better not do it tonight. But if, 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 as you study this next verse, and you look through these. Next couple of verses. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh off upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth the blessing from God. I mean even the structure of the sentence there in English, it's obviously talking about where the blessing is. The blessing is upon the ground. Right? What receives the blessing from God? Those that are dressing it or the earth? Does that not sound very similar when Jesus talks about that seed and the sower, and he talks about that's being sown among thorns, and he talks about the stony ground? Go back and read that. Is that Mark 4? Or Matthew? Mark 4. I'm waiting on you to tell me. No, I'm kidding. Right? And you go back and you go back and look at those. It's, it's talking about the ground. The ground's bad. See, a man that rejects Christ, the ground is bad. Right? That's what he's just kind of done dealing with. It's not, it's not, that, it's not, that, uh, it's not that he uh, um, rejected him and he was saved and he's gotten to a place where he rejects Christ and turns his back on Christ and, uh, and, and openly brings him to a shame by denouncing uh, who Christ is and Christ's vision. It's, it's, it's not that. It's that the man is crucifying himself again because that's what he did the first time. It's bad ground. That's what I think. And if you know better than that, you call Brother Reed... And Brother Reed will call me tomorrow. Everybody okay? And again, I, I have thought about that way. Every, I have thought about that word. I have thought about it from the standpoint of dealing with the law. And, uh, you know, trying to look at it from the sense of what he was talking about because it says, you know, a faith to God as opposed to faith in Christ and repentance towards God. I've, I've, looked, I've looked at all those things and he's destroying those, those words. But you can't hold to that and come to the place where he's a partaker of the Holy Ghost and being, being renewed again. You can't, it doesn't matter. So, that is the only way I know to faithfully uh, interpret those scriptures and not damage other places, right? Because you're either perfected forever or not. There is now, therefore, no condemnation of them in Christ Jesus, or you're not. Right? How about you tonight? Brother Reed's going to come. Can I ask you a question? Again, I've asked it. I've asked it many times, and I'll keep asking it as long as you all keep me here. Or as long as I decide to say, you might get sick of Cody. Do you believe on Jesus Christ? That's the question tonight. If you do, the world can be on fire with Biden as president and you'll still be saved by the grace of God. Amen. Amen. There's coming a time when he's going to shake the foundation of this earth and those things that cannot be shaken remain. You'll never be shaken. I hope you know him. If you're saved tonight, we ought to thank God for it and what he's accomplished. Lord, we love you. Thank you for keeping us, saving us. Salvation truly is of the Lord. Thank you for allowing us the privilege. To call upon your name. To find mercy and grace to help us in time of need. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for forgiving our sins and remembering our iniquities against us no more. I ask if anybody's here tonight lost, Lord, you'd help them to see Jesus as sufficient enough for everything they need. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll have a verse. If you need to come, you come on. Stand to your feet if you need. You've been sitting them moment. Right.